That's him. James and John. So he sort of includes himself without naming himself. There's Nathaniel, whom we've heard about from Cana and Galilee. And then he says, strangely, there are also uh, two other disciples. Who were they? Well, we're not told. All six of them said to Peter when he said, I'm going fishing, they said, come and do. I think it's more a recreational, I don't know where Jesus is, we don't know when he's going to come. Uh, let's go do something productive. Let's go have some fun, uh, but maybe earn some money at the same time. I don't think he's doing it intentionally to raise money for the family. I don't think that's the purpose because later on, as you'll discover, the fish is not his focus. So Peter and the guys get in the boat, probably his previous boat that they owned, and they go fishing. They went at night. Does John tell us they went at night because that's the best time to go fishing or is that some sort of spiritual parallel? You know, it's like they're being disobedient to the Lord and it's, it's night, it's dark, like in 13 verse 30. Well, I suspect it's just very simple. It's best time to go fishing. They went at the best time. They were fishermen. They used to be professional fishermen. They knew what they were doing. And Jesus allows them. Now that's the point. I think that's why John tells us this story because he's allowing them to go fishing and using their knowledge and their experience and their previous wisdom to fail. Because that's what happens. They go fishing all night and they catch nothing. And then Jesus turns up on the shore. He just suddenly appears there. And in being there, there is a fire, and on the fire, a coal fire, he has a piece of fish, one single fish, and he has some bread, and he asks them a question. Whenever Jesus turns up, he's always asking questions. God often asks questions to provoke us to think or to be honest in our response. You haven't caught any fish, have you? And they're honest. Likewise, we need to be honest too with God. Uh, no, we haven't. A bit embarrassed, a bit discouraged. Fished all night. Come up with zip. And this stranger, it's Jesus, but they don't recognise that it's Jesus. How come they don't recognise him? Is it the distance? It's about 90 metres to the shore, 100 stadia. Is it the twilight? Light's not good. Is it that they're in their 40s? like me um, and they don't have good eyesight or is it in fact because this has happened on numerous occasions even up close and personal whenever the disciples saw Jesus they didn't recognise him not initially was he somehow hidden or was his resurrection body somehow very different many commentators in fact suggest that Jesus was so badly beaten and the experience of death has so distorted his physical form that he looked different. The Lord bless you a thousand times. My notes just blew over on top of the candle. And they've been singed. Oh, they're no good anymore, are they? Thank you. Anyway, they didn't recognise Jesus. And Jesus asked them that question. You haven't got any fish, have you? They say no. And he says, let down the nets on the other side of the boat. 
So the, the net's down on this side of the boat and we caught nothing. And we put the net down on this side of the boat. That doesn't seem like it's going to make a lot of difference. But they do it. And lo and behold, as soon as they do it, to this armchair expert on the shore, whom they don't know who that is, they suddenly catch this massive haul of fish, large fish. They don't know the number yet, but they will soon. And then John, who was always more spiritually perceptive than Peter, says to Peter, that's the Lord. That's got to be Jesus. Not because I recognise him, but because I recognise his work. I've seen this before. Luke chapter 5, same story. It's a different story, different time, but same experience of fished all night, caught nothing, and then suddenly at his instructions they catch a whole mass. And as soon as Peter, John might be more spiritually perceptive, but Peter is always more spiritually passionate. I've never had to dry, dive into the water to save somebody. But in all the movies I've ever seen, when someone dives in, they take their clothes, their coat off, their jumper off and dive in. Peter does the opposite. He puts his cloak back on, tucks it in to his undies and cannonballs, they didn't dive in those days, cannonballs into the water, swims to the shore, leaves the boat. That's why he wasn't fishing, you see, for food or for finances. He abandons the fish because he thinks that's Jesus. And he swims somehow to him. John doesn't actually tell us whether Peter gets there before the boat, but he gets there eventually. When they get there, they find there's a charcoal fire. God has designed us in such a way that our olfactory nerves, you know, our sense of smell, is, can be linked strongly with our sense of memory. And I'm pretty sure that when Peter saw and smelt the charcoal fire, he remembered another charcoal fire back in the high priest's court where he was questioned by a girl where he denied Jesus three times. A charcoal fire, a piece of fish and some bread. The boat arrives and Jesus says, Bring some of the fish that you have caught. In the process of bringing some of that fish, they would have undoubtedly counted it, divided it up between the seven, came to 153 pieces of fish. The commentators go berserk. Why 153? And they have all sorts of really weird explanations. Having considered it very carefully, prayed about it, the reason why John tells us there's 153 fish is because there was 153 fish. It's not spiritually significant. The number is not special, spiritual or anything else. Just size of the catch. Just like in John chapter 2 when he says uh, fill those water jars with water when he's going to turn it into wine. How many jars were there? Six. Just an eyewitness account. If he was there, he saw, he counted, he knew the details. Bring your some of your fish 
and they bring it, they cook it, they eat. And in the process of all of this, why is John telling us this story? This is the third time Jesus appears to this group of disciples, a group of seven. Seven is a symbolic number, certainly, of completion, so it's true for all disciples. But why this story, of all the stories? Well, I think because John wants us to reflect upon it, and if you do, as you read it several times and think about it, you'll find certain things truths. Number one, the way Jesus is operating with his disciples has changed. There was another time when he took some fish and some bread and he multiplied it and he fed 5,000 people. Another occasion, 4,000 people. From now on, it's going to be different. After the resurrection, it's now bring some of the fish that you have caught. Add that to what I'm providing. It's that which you produce by your own human labour, by your own effort, is linked with what I provide and out of this combination of you working with me and me with you, we will meet human need. There's a new way of working in the kingdom of God. Jesus is teaching his disciples. But Jesus also has another agenda. He wants to have a conversation with one of these seven, particularly with Peter. And lovingly, Jesus first feeds Peter, gives him time to sit before the charcoal fire to dry out a bit because he's cannonballed into the ocean and swum 90 metres to the shore. So he's giving him a chance to dry out, to be fed, to enjoy some fellowship and time with one another. When all of that is done, having ministered to the physical, then Jesus is going to have a spiritual conversation with Peter. Jesus is modelling and demonstrating how we are to care for and tend for his people, for the sheep to care for people at whatever point of need there are, where they're at. And then, likewise, not to fall short, but to carry that on to how you're travelling with God. Well, that's certainly what the Lord Jesus does with Peter. Having eaten, uh, having fellowshiped, Jesus has a conversation with Simon Peter. If you jump down at the end of the story in verse 20, it talks about how Peter turned around and he saw John, the unknown disciple, following them, which implies when Jesus started this conversation, he was in the group, but by the time of the third question, uh, they've walked off there in the, down the beach or somewhere else. And Jesus has a question for Peter, which is a good question. Maybe you spoke about this tonight. Jesus looks Peter in the eyes and says to him, Simon Peter, son of John, do you love me more than these? If Jesus asked you that question, I wonder what you would say. I wonder how you would define that word, these. When Jesus asked him, what did he mean by these? Three possibilities. Simon Peter, do you love me more than these nets, boat, fish 
your old way of life, your old career? Do you love me more than that? Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Or did Peter mean, looking at the disciples, you love me more than these? Here is your um, work partners, James and John. We're not told that his brother Andrew was there, but maybe he was. Here are your close companions you've travelled with for the last three years. Do you love me more than you love these guys, your closest companions, friends, work colleagues? Do you love me more than them? Maybe that's what Jesus meant. Third possibility is that Jesus meant, Peter, you once boasted that they might all deny me, leave me, flee, but that you never would and you're the one who denied me three times. Would you still say that? Do you love me more than they love me? It's comparative. If that's the question, well then Peter still says yes. You know that I love you. You know all things. We may not be sure exactly what Jesus is asking specifically, but either way, he is asking this question, do you love me supremely? Above career people, things, do you love me most of all? That's the question for us. Do we love Jesus supremely? Secondly, he says, each time he says something to Peter, he replies, and when Peter replies, yes, Lord, you know that I love you, Jesus then says to him, then, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. Don't just say you love me, do something about it. Love me actively. Show your love by your care and teaching of others, looking after them. Love me actively. And if Jesus does this before the others, before he walks away, then the Lord Jesus is also saying to Peter, challenging him and us to love him openly, unashamedly, before others, to declare, to say so. Charcoal fire, three questions, three answers. Undoubtedly took Peter back to charcoal fire, three questions and three denials. To Jesus encouraging and helping Peter to recover and recommit himself to following Jesus passionately. The Lord Jesus is very patient with us, very gracious towards us, pursues us when we struggle, stumble, fall, stray. But it goes on. The Lord Jesus also says to Peter, Peter, when you were younger, and just like in the boat, uh, you used to dress yourself, you used to decide where you wanted to go and you would do your own thing, but when you get older, someone else is going to lead you to a place you don't want to go. You will stretch out your hands And John says, Jesus said this to him, indicating how Peter would die and bring glory to God. The church tradition tells us that the Apostle Peter was likewise crucified like the Lord Jesus. 
but upside down at his request because he didn't consider himself worthy to be crucified like the Lord Jesus. And Jesus told him that was going to happen. So Jesus is saying to Peter, I want you to follow me regardless of the cost. It's going to cost you your life. Follow me. That's what he says to him. Peter turns around and he sees John somehow following them, having this conversation. And Peter says, like what I guess we might say as well, he says, well, what about him? And Jesus says, what I want for him, what is it to you if I want him to remain until I return? It's got nothing to do with you. You follow me. That led to a rumour being spread that John was never going to die and that's one of the reasons why John writes this to explain that Jesus never said that. What Jesus did say was if I want him to remain until I return what is that to you? Jesus is saying to Peter I want you to follow me regardless of what other people do. Whatever I do for other people you follow me. That's what I want you to do. I think it was Jonathan Edwards who said resolved he wrote a whole list of these resolved that everybody ought to follow Jesus without hesitation secondly resolved that regardless of what other people decide to do I will follow him wow that's a challenge for us. That's why John is telling us this story. What's your response? Will you follow Jesus? Regardless of the cost of what it will mean to you in the future, regardless of what other people decide to do? Whatever. He wants you to love him supremely. He wants you to love him openly. He wants you to love him actively. He wants you to choose to follow him. That's why John tells us this rather ordinary story about fishing and breakfast. At the end of the day it's about there's a change in the way Jesus will operate. He's now going to work with us and invite us to work with him. He will allow us to go fishing, relying on our own efforts and to fail. But when we, like the guys in the boat, choose to obey him and follow his instructions, there is blessing and there is success. However he determines that. That when we stray, he will pursue us and he will minister to us in such a way that we are able to receive his correction. He allows Peter to get dry, he allows Peter to be fed, he allows Peter to enjoy fellowship and then there is a conversation. Peter, do you love me? Do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord. Then feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep, follow me. That's what the Lord Jesus instructed Peter and through Peter instructs us. So the only question that remains is, what's your response? What do you say? If Jesus asks you the question, insert your name do you love me would you say yes Lord all the time
Yes, Lord, most of the time. Yes, Lord, some of the time. Lord, can you ask me tomorrow? How do you move that from wherever you are so that you can say in response to him, do you love me? Yes, Lord, with all my heart, regardless of what others do, regardless of the cost, I will follow you. That's what he desires and that's certainly what he deserves. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your great love for us. You came into the world, lived among us, revealed to us exactly what God is like and then stepped into harm's way, took the punishment that we deserved, took the full blunt of the wrath of God, bearing the penalty for our sin and then on this day rose victorious sin paid in full and then motivated and challenged those who follow you to follow you passionately devotedly fully Lord deliver us from lame excuses from half-hearted responses make us passionate fully devoted committed sold out and unashamed that you are our Lord and our Saviour. We love you and we want to follow you. We thank you for your patience and grace. Stimulate us now by your spirit to serve you as you deserve. We pray in your great name. And everybody said...